0: following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. We will turn again to the book of Obadiah, where we have been studying. And now, the last time we were here, we gave a little bit of an overview of where we had been in the book. And let me begin again at the first verse where it says there, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. The words, thus says the Lord, are important words. As we have said and repeatedly emphasized, that the message that is here that Obadiah is delivering is God's message. And that's very important for us to take stock of and to and to recognize that it is it is God's word that's important and that the prophet has a responsibility to proclaim the word that the Lord gave to him to give to the people to give it in an unadulterated form to just to not try to enhance it or improve it or in any wise do anything with it except to deliver it in a clear form so that's what that first verse says there and then it says we have heard a report and the Lord has sent a messenger among the nations saying and so the idea here then is that this message says in verse the latter part of verse 1 arise and let us go up against her for battle. So the idea is that nations will be gathering together and they will fight against Edom. These nations are being called together through God's uh, omnipotent power to rule and to right the hearts and minds of men and so that the nations will be doing his bidding The nations, as we have said, may have had their own ideas as to really what was going on. And I think it's fair to say that we never understand all that's going on. This is God's world, and he's in charge of it, and he is orchestrating. It's his plan, his program. And so we understand parts of what's going on in our context and some Parts of what went on and will, will go on. But there's always more going on than Messiah, the, the human eye. And these nations were participating in God's program. Now, as for Edom, Edom, Edom wasn't a big time problem. This whole book it talks about concerning Edom. And when you look through the scriptures and you see all of the various references to Edom and what the activities were in relation to Israel, there are just too many to even think about. Many, many references are there, and they tell of horrifying things. And so God says, I will make you small among the nations, and that's in verse number 2. You shall be greatly despised. That's not a maybe. Those are definite statements. And that's what God said. Now, the next verse here talks about a condition that sets in order or emotion, things that will come. He says the pride of your heart has deceived you. We talked about that before, the whole idea of pride, and pride going before a fall, and how it's a problem. We call it a universal problem, a problem of individuals and a problem of nations pride but then this matter of deceit to be deceived here in this verse it speaks about self deceit the pride of the heart working together has caused Edom to be self deceived no one would voluntarily say, well, I'm volunteering myself to be deceived. That's not the way we think about things. But are we deceived in, in a certain specific thing that we might consider? And there are certain kinds of things that we can do that will cause us to, to become deceived, which weren't necessary for us. We could have picked other choices. And so now in the next couple of verses, three verses here, we, the way this is rendered is God speaking to Edom, and, and God has something to say. He says, Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be greatly despised. Small and despised that's verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the cleft of the rock. Their geographical and their topographical setting is that's what we talked about and it was situated such that from a natural point of view in terms of military defense they were in a good setting they were in a good place and it afforded some level of protection against ordinary enemies, other peoples who might want to come against them. It provided some level of protection for that. We mentioned rhetorical, I mean uh, hyperbolic expressions here in the next part here. It, though you, you dwell in the clefts of the rock, so the clefts, that's a high in terms of geographical formation whose habitation is high, who say in your heart, so the matter of the heart again, say in your heart, who can bring me down from the gro- to the ground? That's their assessment of what their situation is. And they're so much convinced that they can speak in terms like this with a rhetorical statement to say, well, who can bring me down? I'm the king of the hill. You can't handle me no matter who you are that was their way of thinking but they didn't understand everything that was going on and so God says to them though you ascend as high as the eagle and though you set your nest among the stars from there I will bring you down so God says you you are in a certain position you are proud of heart You have deceit. You think you're safe and secure. You think no one can bring you down. But God says, I will bring you down. And so in as much as God said that he would do that, there was no room for any other possibility to happen. Then in verse number five, it goes on to say, The thieves and robbers and grape gatherers. And to illustrate or to point out and to paint a clear picture of what's going to happen to Edom, these illustrations are given to us. And it talks about robbers coming and leaving something behind, and of the thieves leaving something, and of the grape gatherers leaving something behind. I spoke about those in terms of practical idea for the thieves and the robbers. They can't carry everything, so they leave something. And for rape gatherers, that God had made provision for those who were the aliens and the poor in the land. And had told his people to leave the gleanings gleanings of your vineyards, for those people to be able to come and to get what they need for their sustenance. And so whether something was left behind for good or for bad, something was left behind. But as for Edom, it says... There won't be anything left behind. And so this gives us a clear illustration and a clear presentation of the direness of the situation that Edom has. Now, it says in verse 6, Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. Hidden treasures. The idea is that there were, with the uh, Edomites, certain things that were put in a special place for protection and safety. We think, we talk about Fort Knox. We talk about you know things being kept where it's virtually it's impregnable. But this is the, the idea that we see here, that. It doesn't matter for Edom what they've done because God says they are undone. He's undoing them. And they are defenseless because of that bare thing. So the high and the low, the high in terms of their pride, the high in terms of thinking no one can defeat them, the high in terms of the elevation, the high in terms of the illustration about if they could nest with the eagles, if they could be as high as the stars, all of those things contrasted with what God said, well, I'm bringing you down to the ground, those contrasts. And some of those things we put some emphasis on in terms of the covenant. I said the covenant but the the contrast between the high and the low and some of these poetical things that we see and some of the parallelisms and various things of that sort. And as we move right along here, I'm moving on now to verse number seven. In verse number seven, It says, all the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat bread, eat your bread, shall lay a trap for you. And then it says, no one is aware of it. No one is aware of it and that's quite interesting in light of what comes in the next verse there. But take note of a few things here. We have these three expressions about Edom and we talked about Edom placing trust and confidence in the geographical and topographical situation. But here we see something else, because Edom had allies. When they were attacking Judah in various times, they, had, they weren't just solo in their operations. They were joining in with other nations to do these deeds. Many of these they couldn't have successfully done alone because they were not a large. But here it speaks about three, it says three things here. Men of your confederacy or your allies, they are going to do something to you that you're not going to like. They're going to force you to the borders of your own land. They're going to take action against you. Men who are at peace with you, people who are your friends, they're going to do something that's not going to be good and you're not going to like that. What are they going to do? They're going to deceive you and prevail against you they're going to turn their backs against you. But I thought you were my friends. Well, it was good for you to think that. But this says that they were going to deceive them. Those who eat your bread shall lay a chart for you. So these are interesting things here. And so we have these three. These are expressions. They're going to use force. They're going to use deceit. They're going to lo- lay a trap for, for Edom. And they're being used of God. And so we have been not just self-deceit, their whole heart having deceived them, but it was as if that self-deceit Prepared the ground for being deceived by others. It seems like an orderly progression there. If you are already if you're deceived and you deceive yourself, you might be right pickings for other people to deceive you because you're looking at things through the wrong frame, through the wrong lens, as it were. And if you do that, you're going to, get, you're going to see the wrong thing. Or fail to see the thing you should see, and be in peril that way. And so then, it's, so this is what happens here. But then it says in the next, the last part of that, it says, and no one. Think of that. Was aware of it. No one was aware of it. All these allies and these friends and all these trusted ones and just being unaware. Well, that's a good way to get into into the trap that was laid. Just not be aware of it. And then march right on into the trap that was laid for you. And that's the situation that they were going to be in here. And so they were uh, betrayed then by the self-deceit, By the seat of these friends and allies. Now I'm going to move on to verses 8 and 9 here. It says there, Will I not in that day, says the Lord, listen to what it says here, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed. To the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. The mountains of Esau, another expression which is standing in to refer to Edom. that They're going to meet this condition, this situation here. I want us to note a couple of things here. We use the expression rhetorical, rhetorical questions, and actually we see two of them right here. When God says, Will I not in that day? See, and then says the Lord is repeated here. So there can be no mistake that this is God and His doing. But He says, Will I not in that day destroy the wise men of Edom? Well, the answer is given. Assume, yes, I I will do that. And the other part of it is, and this is the way it's rendered us. Actually, what we can say is, will I not, in that day, destroy understanding from the mountains of Esau? So that would be the second rhetorical question. And the part of it is not listed there, but we understand it, that what it is from the context of what is written. And so these are two. And God is saying, well, yes. So the rhetorical question being a device, a literary device to help to get the point across in in ways that it will be remembered and understood. And so that's what he has here. So he's going to cut off the mountains of Esau. It says that in that day, in that day, so this is an unspecified period. Which, in which God would destroy Edom it doesn't tell specifically when it would be but it was that's what the expression is referring to in that day so God is going to intervene and he's going to bring a judgment upon Edom a temporal judgment here this expression in that day is to be distinguished from another word or expression that we use the day of the Lord we've all heard that the day of the Lord, I think of it as a technical term. I speaking about the eschaton, the end things, the millennial reign, where Christ will himself be upon the earth and be ruling. The day of the Lord, but that's not what the reference is here. It's like it's giving us a bit of a picture of what it would be like when we get to the end or and you know, to all the things that were happening in the tribulation and all that, it's like a little bit of a Precursor as to what that will be, but that's not what this day is here. This day is for Edom, uh, he says. Says the Lord. But then it talks about the wise men, uh, the men of understanding. One of the things that we have noted is, so evidently then, that they were known for having these properties, having understanding. And having wisdom. Now we can think about Job. Something Job was an Edomite. But we know about Eliphaz, one of Job's friends. And he was a Temanite, it said. Well, who was a Temanite? A grandson of Esau. And Teman, in this book here, is used it as a stand-in referring actually to Edom and so that that kind of a wisdom to be known for that and so God says well none of that's going to be of any value to you it's not going to help I will in that day says the Lord in verse number 8 destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau then your mighty men O Teman shall be dismayed, to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter." So you have then, those who are to be the wise men, it, they should be the ones who should be well informed and should be able to give some good leadership and good uh, direction. But it was going to be of no use. The, the, the mighty men, we can think about a kind of a two-pronged thing here. Those who have the wisdom and the knowledge, the skilled ones, are, in our day we he, hear so much about experts. Well, experts, anyway, we get a lot of wrong information from a lot of experts. The experts sometimes don't do you any good at all, and that's where the idea is here. God is saying as far as, as these are concerned, you, you have these experts who have all, all this wisdom all this understanding, all that's going to be tonight, it's not going to matter for you. And so that your military people or your mighty people, when they perform, they're going to be ineffective. They're not going to be able to accomplish the goal of the mission because you are under the ban. And destruction is coming your way. And it's going to hit at the appointed time. So the grandson of Esau Timon, we see there in verse number nine. In the next section here, so we say then, we see all this calamity that's coming against Edom. We say, Well, why is it why is this? Why is this coming? Well, we know it speaks about Edom being bad. If I can use that expression in this way. They've been up to bad things. And God took note of those. So why the calamity? Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10 says, For... And I think we can use the expression here. Some of the other translations might use the word because in this place. And I think that's a proper way to understand it. For violence against your brother, Jacob. Against your brother, Jacob. And so it meant something to have uh, that familiar relation, that connection it was more than just a regular person to person. It went far deeper than that. So the obligations and the responsibilities that go with that family connection was violated by Edom. And so that put them in a dangerous place because God says the people not only are they your brothers, but they are my people. See? And that makes all the difference. My people. And so God says, Edom, you will be cut off forever. Shame shall cover you. And you shall be cut off forever. Forever. Shame shall cover you. Shame is an interesting, interesting thing. I was doing some reading about this concept of shame. And one of the things that we glean is the idea that in the Eastern cultures... Shame is viewed in a different way than what we, Westerners, tend to think about that. And so, the shame is really a big deal. Uh, a big deal. So, for the so the expression here that you will be put to shame means something very significant and very deep. I looked at the word shame and I know there are different words that are rendered and not every place is the same, but the concept in our translation in my search of the King James, New King James it gave me 109 hits for the word shame just that frequency lets us know that this is a big deal so when he says here that They will be put to shame. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off. It's saying something that's that's deep. I want to point to a few verses where this word shame is used. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 25, it says this. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Here's one from Job in chapter 18 and verse 7. So the five men departed. And went to a ledge. They saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rules in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. Shame. I'm just pointing out some of these verses, showing how shame, the use of shame in some of these verses here. In First Samuel chapter 20 and verse 30, then Saul's anger aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, "You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Shame." I'm skipping some of these. I have too many of them on here for the time. Job, verse in chapter eight, verse twenty-two: Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. In Psalm chapter four, verse two. And Psalm four, verse two: How long, O you sons of men? Will you turn my glory to shame? How long? Will you love your worthlessness and seek falsehood? Or in Psalm 14:6, you shame the counsel of the poor. But the Lord is his refuge. Or in Psalm 35, verse 4, let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Put them to shame means something. Let those be turned back who brought confusion, who plot my hurt. Let me give a couple more of these. Psalm 35. At first I had thought maybe I'd just read some of these from Psalms only, (laughs) but uh, I, I put in some other ones. But Psalm 35 and verse 26. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who exalt themselves against me. Psalm 40 verse 15, let them be confounded because of their shame. 44 verse 7, but you have saved us from our enemies and put to shame those who hated us. Uh, That's enough of those for now. But I, I did that because I, what we're trying to do is, is to recognize some of the things that, that the prophet is actually given to the people, when he presents, this message from God. We talked about you know, the poetic expression, that's throughout this, uh, section, these, 21 verses, and these things being reported that way. And so. Edom were violent against their brothers their brother Jacob and God says for that you will be cut off forever then the next section goes on to detail some of what it was that they did so that there can be no mistake about it. So they even reading just this short portion. That the judgment that's laid out for Edom as this portion is a just judgment. Of course we know it's just because it's coming from the hand of God. And will not the God of all the earth do right? He will every time. And so this lex talionis principle that is exhibited here in the book of Obadiah, where it says that, Edom, as you have done, it will be done again to you. That's the principle that's being exhibited here throughout this small section. So that's moving along in Obadiah. Seeing what the Lord had to say to them and considering what it is that he has for us to glean from it and how it should impact how we think about things and how we conduct ourselves. We don't want to be self-deceived and we don't want to be deceived by others. And as we have said, deceit and being deceived, one way to think about that is To avoid deceit, you can look through the right lenses, and that be that would be a great big help. If you are trying to see the fine print of a text and to understand what it says, just in normal course of reading, I know sometimes for me I have to, I have to adjust the distance of the thing to my eyes. Sometimes i take my glasses off and put my eyeballs close, and that way I can read it. But the idea of looking through the proper lens, I could see it and understand it. And so I wasn't deceived by what was on the label when I looked through the proper lens. But I could look through other lenses where the words would come across to me as something totally different, and the message totally different than what it really is. So how are we to look at the world and understand? You know what I'm getting at. You know the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that the lens through which we should be trying to see and evaluate is the lens that God gave us, his word. So we keep saying it over and over again. We need to spend time in his word so that that can shape and provide for us the frame through which to view Things. That's important because there are multitudes of people who are providing for you a lens, a frame, and saying, look through this lens. Look through this lens. Many times the lens they present are diametrically. It's diametrically opposed to what God has said and the lens that he provides for us. And so that's why we need to be careful to mind. Our scriptures in the Bible so that we can develop more acuteness to form in ourselves with a notion, just a thought. Okay, I need to be looking through a lens. I'm going to be looking through a lens. But what lens? See, people have talked about worldviews, and I'm getting over time and I was late and now I'm being late in stopping. I thank you for being patient with me. But that's the idea is that we are trying to have a worldview, a way of looking at things that is in alignment with the way God wants us to look at them. That's the idea. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have privileged us today, this morning, together. Help us, Lord. We, we need your help, even evident in my coming in so late this morning provides a clear illustration of how we need your help all the time in every way. We ask with thanks in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention.